in their own report and words that that was the main draw to their following Jesus. I mean, how is it that you would knock off work, uh, rearrange your life, and head out on some kind of a voyage like we see those people heading out on if they weren't truly astonished? And then we had to wrestle with the question, well, then how do we intend to follow Jesus and not be as astonished? It's really tough to be a Christian and not be astonished by Jesus. It's just hard work. And we can fake it for a while and we can give it our best effort, but in time we realize we're missing the main ingredient of that life, and that is the ingredient of just being astonished by Him. And I just challenge you guys to not give Him a big title like Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, and I appreciate that title. But sometimes in all of the big language, we need to just go back in and read what He said. And look at what he did. And put him in real skin. And a real place and time. And watch what this one man did with his life. Until we become astonished by who he is. And that he would turn around and say then to us as the astonished one. Come follow me. I don't want you thinking this life you see in me is only for me. I'm giving it away. I'm looking for students that want to learn everything I know from my Heavenly Father. We're learning to rewrite our relationship to Jesus. We're not asking Him to forgive us of our sins only. We're answering His invitation to be astonished by Him into discipleship. Until we get out of our own small boats like Peter and begin to walk into what we see Jesus doing and learn to take steps into his kind of living. That the world then can see he was who he said he was by looking on our lives. Tonight I want you to walk with me into how intelligent Jesus was. Jesus was brilliant. He really had vital information about important matters like life, what makes it good, relationships, how to forgive and love others. He knew about world affairs. I want us to understand the brilliance of Jesus. You would like to take world history from Jesus. He could teach that class here. He might say, okay guys, let's begin with some world, well, let's begin back at creation. You'd like to take physics by Jesus. He could teach that class. I mean, sometimes we have him so tucked away only in religion. But no, no, no. Jesus was brilliant. I mean, he could explain how fishes and loaves, that matter could be held and his energy could surge into it and he could multiply matter. He could teach physics and we would all go, oh my gosh. You actually weren't magical. You really knew something critically important. See, all of your field of studies and all of your majors right here could be wonderfully taught by Jesus. And if you don't think he's the leading thinker in your particular field, I know you won't choose to follow him because he won't know enough for you. Can I say that again? If you don't see Jesus being able to teach the very thing you are trying to learn, then you won't really have the confidence to follow him. You'll have to find someone else who's a little bit brighter and what I'm helping us from scriptures to look at is that Jesus was absolutely brilliant in all matters of life. He, he really knew what he was talking about. 
And so when he began to have disciples and students like us following him, he was actually presenting, if you will, now you have to listen to me carefully here, and we're going to think tonight, so I'll try to keep you awake with me, but I want you to know that he's not just talking about matters you have to accept by faith, because you really can't know them. He's talking to us about things that he knew and that were true, and therefore we could begin to trust him about it. And he was brilliant in how he presented to his disciples, if you will, reality, what was true, what you could count on, what you could come to know. And, and the main thing that he wants you to know as his student in this life, his main thing was the topic of the kingdom of God. He, he spoke about this all the time, guys. And I can tell you, I grew up in a church, and I don't think I can remember a, a sermon on it. And Jesus wouldn't quit talking about it. And I think it's one of the forks in the road where we produce the kind of Christianity that's not really reminding the world much of Jesus, but it's believing a lot of good and important things about him. But what we want to do is come back and understand that he really knew what's real and what you could put your weight down on and what you could trust. And he said it simply in that the kingdom of God has come. It's, it's now at hand. Let me just read you a few verses out of Jesus' own words and stay with me and then we'll put this into different stories and illustrations and, and then maybe apply it down into where you and I are walking around where we're living. Um, in Mark chapter 1, it says in verse 14, after John was put in prison, remember John was the cousin to Jesus. So when John was hushed and put away in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. So he went up north from where he was raised in Nazareth. By the way, his hometown was only about 500 people in its present day. Pretty quiet life for such an astonishing character. So he kind of leaves the small town and he goes up to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What is the good news of God? Here it is. Jesus said the opening words, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. All right, what's the good news? You got it. Somebody say it a little bit louder because I can kind of hear it murmuring. What's the, what's the good news? Thank you. That's the good news. That might change something that you were thinking the good news is. The good news of Jesus, the gospel, is that the kingdom of God is here. That's our good news. That, that's, that's our gospel. I just had a good time flipping around here a little bit earlier. Uh, over in Luke, and I'll go faster than maybe you can stay up with me here, but in uh, Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out his 72. And this is what he wants them to say as they go to places. He said, whenever you enter a town and you're welcomed, eat what's set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Like that's what you're supposed to be knowing and saying. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, he taught them how to pray in one particular place, and he said, pray like this, Father, hallowed be your name. Yeah. There you go, your kingdom come. If you look in Acts, you'll see that after Jesus was resurrected, you know, if you had just been resurrected, you might want to go get to the biggest party, which was going to be in heaven, held in his honor. You'd think he'd be racing up to the heavens, but what Jesus does is he hangs out for another 40 days, even though he's probably free to go. It's like, what's so important that you're going to delay your homecoming? Why would you want to hang around the earth? And Acts chapter 1 tells us very easily that Jesus, in those 40 days, gathered his disciples. Um, 
After this suffering, he showed himself to those men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. At the very end of Acts, you have Paul under house arrest in Rome. And at the end of his ministry, and all through the book of Acts, this is referenced, but in Acts 28, it's interesting for those of us who are following Jesus that it says, uh, people arranged to meet with Paul on a certain day. And they came to where he was in large numbers to the place that he was staying. And from morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus. If you want to know Jesus, you're going to need to walk in the kingdom of God. If you're going to walk in the kingdom of God, you're going to see it lived out in Jesus. You cannot split the two. The central message that Jesus would continue to bring people who would give him time and attention, he would bring them into an awareness of a reality, and that is that you don't have to die to go be with God. Now that's the myth, guys. Somehow the gospel became forgiveness of sins, and then when you died, it kicked in on a merit system, and you got up to heaven, and they said, well, your sins have been forgiven, now you can come in, and the kingdom of God is up here, and you finally have graduated into it. And Jesus totally turns that gospel on its ear, and it's reverse order, and he says, get this now, this is the newsflash, here is the reality, the kingdom of God has come onto the earth and is now open for students who want to learn life with God now. Now, I just raised the ceiling in the room. When Jesus was in a synagogue, it was his custom to teach as a visiting rabbi. And in one early time of his ministry, he was in a very simple, you know, windowless, air-flowing-through, adobe-looking, clay-type structure that would be a little synagogue built by the village. And Jesus came in as a visiting rabbi, and there was a man who always sat in the back because he had the withered hand. And back in that day, if you had something wrong with you, if you were disabled, it was certainly the sign that you had some kind of unconfessed sin. And you were, if you will, cursed by God. You, you lacked God's favor and blessing. But you know what? They allowed this guy a back pew. But that was kind of them, given his situation. What was so astounding about Jesus was when he came to that synagogue and he saw the seating arrangement, it's like the last shall be first and the first shall be last. He looked out to the last pew and he noticed this guy's got this thing tucked away and he noticed everyone kind of is ostracizing him and he kind of says, well, since it's me here today, let's start with you. Why don't you come forward and let's see the hand? <gasps> We're a church. Don't do that. Just go to the offering. And then after the offering... The solo, then the solo goes to the sermon. I mean, don't bring the guy with the withered hand up front. This thing's going to get messy. Come on. We, we know what to do here. You're interrupting it. What kind of reality do you live in? We're God's people. We're God's chosen. We've got the Torah up in a scroll. We're about ready to read it. That's what we know is real. You're telling us the guy with the withered hand can come up here and interrupt the liturgy? Where are you coming from? Who's your party? Well, the guy with the withered hand can't believe he's called up front. First time, he's shocked. I'm surprised he wasn't cardiac arrest. Usher's getting over there with the pads on this man right away, saying, you can't believe it, you're being invited up front. He comes up front, Jesus kind of puts him in the middle, and he says, let's see that hand. And the guy puts it out, and then Jesus looks at him with eyes of compassion. And by the way, compassion always precedes power in the life of Jesus. If you want to know his power, seek his compassion. He looked at this guy. Like I said this morning, it was in his eyes. It was in his, his hands. Jesus was full of life and love and compassion. 
And he draws this man into that kind of reality and he touches this man with a kind of power that can restore a withered hand. And I think it was because Jesus was trying to get to all the withered hearts. Here's the deal. Those people came to the synagogue that day. Jesus was in the kingdom that day. Do you see the difference in reality? Jesus knew He wasn't just at the synagogue. Jesus knew it wasn't just the Sabbath. Jesus primarily knew that God's kingdom had come here to the earth and it was available for little clay huts in the middle of the Middle East. And the people in the back and the people who were last could now come in and experience the life of God. That's pretty amazing. That's the reality that Jesus was offering His students. This is what He was saying. It's my Father's delight to to give you the kingdom, to, to let you begin to notice who's sitting in the back, who's on the margins. It's beginning to help you see that you're not just at ENC getting an education, you're here as you're in a much broader world of God's care and kingdom. See, what you think is real will determine your choices. And what you really have knowledge about you will end up with great confidence learning to trust into it. And if you and I are of the headset that God is primarily waiting for us in heaven and that we've kind of got to die to get there, then we're going to live such a small life when Jesus comes along. We're not going to understand hardly anything He did because He was constantly demonstrating and announcing a kingdom, a reality. And I want you to take your life and I want you to go with me into the kingdom that is now available for us. The good news is that the kingdom of God is here and now. I grew up as a kid and I just used to wonder in my, in my bedroom at night, I'd have my hair on the pillow. I didn't do this every night because I don't want you to think I'm that weird, but I would, you know, I'd try to figure out where in the world is heaven. Like eight miles off of the orbit of the earth, you think that little sign up there, boop, heaven. Now entering oh, heaven. There it is. There it is. Jesus was really clear and constant on that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and those are the same phrases said differently, is, is anywhere that the king is in action. The kingdom of heaven, heaven itself, the kingdom of God is simply anywhere that God is acting. Wherever the king is acting is the kingdom. Okay? And so Jesus was helping us understand that in who he was, he was bringing this kingdom of God and beginning to show us how it was now available and accessible and acting in our world and that we could become students following Jesus and learn how to live in that reality. And I'm saying that you are making choices and determining a lot of who you are, your identity by what you really think is true and real. And Jesus says, bring yourself into the kingdom and discover who you really are. Whew. In Matthew 11, 11, Jesus used John the Baptist as an illustration to help people get their identity from the kingdom and not from, just from opinions of others. And in that, he says, you guys know John the Baptist. And John had been in that region teaching, and he was a powerful. I mean, if nothing else, the guy just looked, looked like he was, you know, of his own type and character. He was striking to be around. 
And they knew John, and John had been out in that area baptizing people. So Jesus goes, you guys know John the Baptist, and you can imagine the crowd listening going, oh, John's one of the best, one of our best. Baptize my boy. Got a picture with John. Stood next to him one time. I mean, nobody. I mean, you're talking John the Baptist League. And Jesus goes, you know, we all thought John the Baptist was amazing. And, you know, among, among women, no one has been born in a greater life than John the Baptist. Woo! Everyone goes, we like this Jesus. He's preaching it right because John's the top. Anyone born of women, no one's greater than John in that whole reign. And then Jesus just turns that right there in the same phrase. He's not through teaching. He says, but I'm telling you, anyone who's even in the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. And see, now they had just something to think about in their own life. I mean, it's one thing to have chaplains like Corey and people like Barry who come to speak. And you know, Those guys are supposed to. You know, we have our spiritual heroes, but sometimes we diminish ourselves and almost hand out our spiritual responsibilities in life almost to those guys. You know, I hope the speaker is good. I hope Corey gives us... And here's the deal, guys. When you walk into the kingdom, even the least one of us who knows hardly anything theological, if we just begin to follow Jesus, the identity that we begin to have is as great as what John the Baptist knew. And it's like, wow, really, that's true about you is when you bring your life into the kingdom, you begin to understand who you truly are because that's the reality you're made to breathe and to live and to begin to understand your life in. You can't have Jesus without the kingdom. You can't have your life in Christ without understanding the reality of the kingdom is here and now. And you're walking into it. And you're learning who you are because of it and within it. It's the primary message of what Jesus came to give the earth. The The earth is full of His glory. Yeah, really. Really. And this is why Jesus would say often to His disciples, Oh, I just wish you had eyes to see and ears to hear this kingdom. In other words, we think if God's kingdom's here, it ought to be loud and in our face. If He's all-powerful, why isn't He making it very, very clear that there's a kingdom here? Why is he so soft-spoken? And why does Scripture say that the kingdom is, is hidden? That God is in, in secret? I mean, we want to be almost taken against our will by God to finally be proven that He is here and His kingdom has come and we can know it like that. And God says, you know, I will never manipulate you to get you to follow Me. I will never override your will. I will not dominate you with my love. But to everyone who began to peek under the curtain, to have eyes that begin to inquire about the kingdom, begin to open their ears like Ryan said in your prayer, Oh God, open our ears. I'm telling you, evidence of the reality that Jesus talked about begin to come across their world. Now you know what I'm talking about. Just moments and glimpses of, oh my God. Heaven isn't somewhere else. God is bringing who He is and what He wants down onto the earth and He's looking for people to develop eyes and ears in which to see more and more of who He is and what they're made for, who they are. I had a friend who told me this story. It helps me understand how important this reality that Jesus talked about is to our lives. Uh, It took place in an airport and you know, there were two people, and one of them, uh, they were both waiting for a plane in, in kind of the same area. And he was seated, and they didn't know each other. 
she came and took the seat next to him after she had bought a Kit Kat bar. And uh, came over and took the seat. Then there's a table between the two of them. And she went and got a Kit Kat bar and got a few other things, like the chewing gum so her ears could pop when they, you know, and other things. And she came over and sat down and, you know, this Kit Kat bar is on the table between them and he takes it, like when just a few seconds of her sitting down, and he slides that silver wrapper out from that red envelope and he opens it up and she's thinking, good night, what is he doing with my Kit Kat bar? They don't know each other. They've never met, remember? So then he takes the Kit Kat bar. And you know how it has four bars? Come on, how many of you love it like I do? Those four bars, man. And he breaks one of those off and he sets the other three back onto the wrapper and he leans back and he starts with the first bar. And she's like livid. She can't believe the audacity of this man who she's never met eating her Kit Kat bar, right? Oh, man! And then, about the time she's thinking, what do I do? What do I do? Here, another guy not listening to me, not caring about me. I mean, where's my voice? He takes the candy bar back in his hand and he breaks off the second bar and looks out the window as if he's just unconcerned. She thinks, I'm not here to sponsor your life. I'm not your maid. She's starting to fume, getting a little bit of color in her face, trying to figure out what's her best response. And at that point, he takes the last two bars and goes, pop, pop. And she's just lit. She's almost paralyzed with the kind of rage because she doesn't quite know how bad to make it for him. He gets up before she can get out of her paralysis and he heads over to right where she can see he's getting in line for the Cinnabon. We all love Cinnabons, right? So he gets in line, he's like two people deep and she knows what she's going to do now. Her game plan's clear. She gets out of her seat and she storms over right behind him about that time he's at the counter and he's got an order in for one that they can slide out there pretty quick. So yeah, he turns around within a matter of a few seconds and there she is. She's been waiting on him. She grabs his Cinnabon, opens the plastic, takes it, looks at him right in the face, goes, how about this? Throws the Cinnabon back down, closes the plastic, hands it back to him, goes back to where she was sitting, boop, time to get onto her plane, so they're boarding, so she walks onto the flight. She's starting to feel like, you know, I finally gave it back to him. I got a little bit too animated in all of that, but it's all right with me, you know. She's sitting down, she gets out her chewing gum, and as she's reaching in her purse to get out her chewing gum, there is her unwrapped Kit Kat bar. See, what you think is real determines how you're acting and what you're choosing. If we don't believe Jesus teaches us important knowledge about reality and what's really going on, we're going to be struggling and making choices on all kinds of crazy stuff, looking about as intelligent as she did in the Cinnabon line. That's why Jesus said the good news is that God is not waiting on you for to die, but he's coming down here now and he's parceling out passions of his that you're calling your majors. And he's saying, I'm looking for some students to live in this wonderful knowledge that God is now acting on the earth and he's looking for people in which he can work through. So if that's the good news, Jesus says, then repent. Then repent. 
See, I used to think repentance was primarily what I did for the things I had done wrong. And then I see Jesus didn't hook it up like that. Repentance is literally meaning this in the Greek. Rethink your thinking in light of the fact that God is now available to you. Repentance means rethink your thinking in light of the fact that God now is available to you. That's what was so magnificent and astonishing about Jesus. He conducted himself in a way that his life looked as if it was being backed and supported and sponsored by God himself. He was, he was working with God. He was thinking of a room as God was in it with him. He was thinking of his workload and his assignments as that which God was doing with him. He was living in that reality 24-7. And as students, he's saying to us, come on, progressively, more and more, begin to bring your life into the kind of repentance that has you rethinking your thinking. Because in light of that, we begin to see God acting in us. And as God is acting with us, we begin, well, it takes off. It takes off. Isn't it interesting that the book of Acts, you guys, had before preaching, God acting, doing something wonderful, like the guy with the withered hand? You know, in Acts, it starts off, there's a leper on the temple steps, and Peter and John say, well, we don't have a lot of money, but we can do this. We're carrying the kingdom of God with us. And we'll just say to you that because Jesus is who he is, you can stand up and walk in his own power. And of course the guy sprung up and started leaping and he goes into the temple. And then, I'm kind of envious of this because then, and Corey you could be too, because then Peter gets to preach. Okay? And it's like that almost always through Acts. God displays something. He demonstrates that he is here. And then somebody gets to kind of preach up to it. Like they try to explain it and they, they try to describe it. They don't, don't, don't think that we're drunk. It's the Holy Spirit that's come down. And they get to explain something that God's already doing. Most of our Christian circles today are trying to talk about something that we never really see demonstrated. We have a lot of preaching, but we don't see a lot of God just demonstrating and I think it's because a number of us as students need to get into how God would use us to bring about the way his kingdom would show up in different places and assignments. Does that make sense? I mean, we're hanging our preachers out on a line, man. Talk to us about stuff we never see. When all of us have the identity in the kingdom to begin to do what we see Jesus doing until the person who's speaking and preaching is simply just giving definition to what's already blowing out the top. Are you getting that? You can come in here and just consume services, but we really want to make you an active member of the kingdom of God. I, I won a little fish one time at the fair. I think I was throwing ping pong balls into the bowl, you know, and you hit the one that had the little fish in it. It must have felt like rock that fish's world when that ping pong hit its water, but whoa! And then I won it. I won it. I took that thing home, you know. And then I had that thing, you know, I went on a field trip that same week and I went to the aquarium in my hometown, you know, all of a sudden I saw, boom, saw this really big fish that looked like my little, like my little bitty fish. And I went, wow, that's kind of interesting. That little fish could be that big fish. I mean, they're all from the same species. They all have gills, all through that sucking thing. And 
They all have a tail and some fins. It's like, but one's, one's just like a little guy and he fits in my bowl. And the other guy, he's really big. And I'm thinking, oh, it's the tank they're in. I asked my teacher, yeah, fish will grow to the size of the tank they're in. Oh, okay. Well, that's kind of cool. Oh, it's a lot about me, isn't it? Yeah, if I just make it about church, sitting there in that pew, having a few good Christian friends... You know, that's kind of like, yeah, okay, you know, that's all right. That's, that's a cute little thing you got going on there, Barry. Uh, is that anything that Jesus talked about? Because I think he was talking about a tank the size of the kingdom in which you begin to bring your little stuff and you start to learn to navigate and to grow in an environment that you were created for. And here's the deal. It's not waiting for you eight miles off the orbit. It's available here and now. Repent. Repent. Don't repent because you're a sinner. Repent because you've missed the great fact of God being so available to you now. No wonder you were so lost in sin. You had not yet discovered the presence of God now. And it's in that way Jesus called his disciples to come follow him and experience the reality of the kingdom that's here. Hmm. In closing, if you read the Gospels, you'll find out anybody can get into the kingdom. All takers are welcomed. Anybody who wants to get in can get in. Dysfunctional people got right into the kingdom. I'm like, are you sure you really want them? I mean, have you met their parents? Yeah? People that have been sexually abused or mishandled. People that are really smart. People that were of different ethnicities could walk right into the kingdom always floors me when I read the Gospels. Because I figure if one of those guys can get in, maybe it's safe that we can all get in. Do you want to get in? you want to know who you really are? you want to intersect God and you want to find out that you can know Him in this moment? All you got to do is say, I want in. It's the good news. And it's available to us. Jesus, thank you that you're here with us. Opening doors for every one of us. Because we're all so different, but all the doors are to the very same King. To the very same God of love. I just picture you coming in like an usher in every withered hand or withered soul, you, you'd say, come, come on. And you would lead each one of us person by person into the healing and the wholeness of our lives and to the embrace of God now for us. Oh, we're saying yes. We're repenting. We had not seen it before. But you're giving us ears to hear and eyes to see. Jesus, yes to your kingdom.
Teach us about it. Open it to us further. And let us extend it in the places that we go. We ask this for your glory. Amen. We'll go and live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You are dismissed. Have a glorious evening.